TMI, TMI, my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did you just say? Oh my god. Oh man. Oh my god. Too far. Crazy goddamn run. We are vibing. Get it, girl. What? Hello, friends. Welcome to the TMI podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Grant, and today we're proudly donning our tinfoil hats as we go into the magical, mystical world of UFOs. (laughs) I don't know why I read that like a newscaster. Am I auditioning for CNN? I don't know, but it happened. Um, We're just going to go with it and pretend it didn't happen. And today I'm talking to the delightful Barry Taylor. Barry is an Australian UFO researcher and an avid sky watcher. His journey down this wild kind of path began way back in 1956 when he was 10 years old. You'll hear me struggling to crunch the math on that later on in the episode. It's a real treat. And he's still going strong out there in the field. And over these years, Barry has observed literally thousands of different types of UFOs and he's developed proven techniques to see them, resulting in some very close encounters. He's giving Fox Mulder vibes, folks. Oh my God, does that make me scully? Yes. Anywho, Something that surprised me during our chat was Barry's emotional vulnerability as he's sharing and recounting some of the events that have happened to him during his life. I mean, it's a huge spectrum of synchronicities and what the fuck just happened moments. And these encounters and experiences with UFOs have had a profound impact on his life. And Oh, look, I really just hope you enjoy being part of this conversation as much as I did. This is a true deep dive. It's a long and winding yarn about some pretty wild shit. So I invite you to expand your awareness for a moment and just see what happens. I mean, YOLO, right? You can always just imagine yourself sitting around a campfire under the stars, chomping on s'mores with Barry and I as we go on this quest together. That's a fun visual that we could all get behind, I think. Now, in saying that, here's our trigger warning. And it's a big fat one today, folks. If you are closed off and sceptical or just a hard-out non-believer of weird, otherworldly things then this chat is deaths not for you. So please press skip and get the fuck out of my DMs about it. And remember, this is a safe and inclusive space for curious people who aren't afraid of the big conversations. Shame and judgment are not welcome here, friends. Oversharing is the best kind of sharing. And here on Planet Sarah Grant, we honor the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Barry Taylor, welcome to TMI. I'm so bloody excited that you're here. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) Thanks for inviting me uh, to talk about my experiences with UFOs and uh, share it with yourself and your audience. I greatly appreciate it. 
Oh, it is. I mean, I say this about all of my topics, but I think this is probably one of my all-time top five favourite topics in the world. So we're going to have a good yarn today, mate, I think. Uh, that's what I love to do, yes. <laughs> I've got so much I can share with you that you've probably never heard from anyone else before too, a lot of it. That's out of this world, let's say that. <laughs> Literally, yeah. I usually like to start with giving everybody a bit of backstory, a bit of context. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came into this wild world of UFOs and ETs and all of that extraterrestrial stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm now a UFO researcher and president of UFO Research Queensland. So I've landed in this position through circumstances and uh, I'm able to share my information with local people here and still be in touch with the subject and also be informed when activity is increasing or when people's sightings, what they're seeing, and I'm able to offer my experience to help others with their possible sightings and uh, video and photo analysis, which I've learned over the years. Mm. But um, my first experience with UFOs was uh, around 10-year-old, living in a country town. I went to the, coming back from the movies one evening around 10 o'clock, and uh, I noticed the sky was, because I had to walk home, of course, in the dark. And, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, with barefoot with a loaf of bread in your hand. Yeah. That's the story. Yeah, I, I did that too sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, kicking the snakes out of the road, you Yeah, know? kicking the snakes <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> and uh, the sky was, that particular night, I just saw it was so dark and the stars were just standing out and there was just masses of stars and it just took my attention and I just, stared up at the sky in awe, looking at what's out there, you know. And then I noticed these group of uh, six to eight little bright objects just ripping through the sky towards the south at high speed. And I followed them. I thought, now that's different, you know, and not knowing anything about UFO, the subject of UFOs wasn't even in the media in those days. Mm. And um, like, When I'm, you say I'm, those days, are we in the 70s or...? No, I'm 75 year old, right? Yeah. And this is going back when I was 10 year old. Oh, sorry. About 56. Okay, 56. Cool. And that's be you know, like, well, they did have motor cars in those days. <laughs> <laughs> but you were still walking. You were walking barefoot. I, yeah, well, I was 10 year old, didn't have my license yet. Yeah, know. didn't have your license. <laughs> Although in a country town in Australia, it, anything was possible. <laughs> Yeah, but I saw these objects and uh, I knew there was something different because um, I, I just had a natural interest in uh, the sky and what was up there. And uh, I asked my mother at the time what I explained what it was. Did she know what it was? And she didn't have a clue. So I, I don't know where I found out it could have been UFOs, whether I mentioned it to somebody else. But I went to the library to see if they had books on UFOs. And George Adamski's first book was there. And I flicked through it and I said, this is what I want to read. So I, I borrowed that. I just developed a fascination with space and the, and the sky and science in general at that early age, even to the stage where my parents were uh, driving down south to see relatives and we stopped at a place along the way. And my father said, do you want to grab a comic? And I went and had a look and there wasn't any comics that interest me, but I I'd spotted this book on science. It was a, a big hard-covered book not very thick, but it was all coloured 
drawings and photos and that in it. So I took it back to him. I said, can I have this? <laughs> he said, yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, I read that book from cover to cover many times and it uh, introduced me to space and how big is big and how small is small. Mm-hmm. So I had a concept of all that at a very early age and I still have that book today, would you believe? Wow. I was inspired to take an interest in space and science and the sky and all that. We'll do it. A time warp into 1970. How about that? 1970. Ooh, there we are. Now we're in the 70s. Now we're in the <laughs> 70s. And uh, I was working in Sydney at the time, just finished night shift, and uh, my car was parked on the banks of Parramatta River in Sydney. Mm. And uh, something caught my attention out of the corner of my eye. Something moved in the sky, and I looked around. I couldn't see anything. And just before I got in the car, I noticed this dull yellow colour football-shaped object about six six metres away from me, and that's at eye level. And I just stood there and watched it and thought to myself, there's somebody in that thing looking out at me. Wow. <laughs> like there was, there was no, um, no surface features like portals or any textures or anything. It was just a, a very smooth surface, pale yellow football-shaped object and it didn't have any, like, energy corona around it or anything, which I've seen, I'll explain in later sightings. Mm. But And then I just watched it and it turned and went across the Parramatta River and disappeared in a flash. And I thought, that's got to be something special, that. That's wild. Yeah. So um, next day when I went to work, I told my workmates about it and they said, that, that's a UFO. You saw a UFO. And I thought, yeah, I wondered what it was, you know. So that's when I... Uh, chased down and contacted the uh, Sydney UFO group, mm. which was run by Professor Bill Moser in those days. And um, I got to know like Bill Chalker, who's in the UFO field today, and that was a period of time when I st- started to communicate with people that had similar sightings and were studying the subject. So it was uh, start the start of my UFO uh, conquest and learning, actually, you know. so Who is Bill Chalker? Is he someone who's influential in the Aussie industry? Well, he's basically an, an author. He studies cases and writes about them. Mm. He's, uh, he's a scientist of such a – I think he's a biologist and uh, he's basically an author, a research author, and he's published a few books and – promotes other UFO researchers' books and all that sort of thing. So, You kind of, I guess, found your creative tr- tribe, really, didn't you, when you met all those people? Definitely, yeah. So did you have some sort of awakening when you started to get into this and you're like, oh, my God, there's other life out there? That, Or did you sort of have a more science-based approach? Or is it combined spiritual experience or a science-y kind of vibe? Well, let me see. I try to keep things in reality. I don't Mm. go off at the fairies about all this sort of stuff, you know, like some people tend to do because that's just the way they look at it and the way they see it, you know. With the Sydney group, I ended up with my my home phone number in the Sydney phone book under UFO research and uh, a lot of people were ringing me with their sighting reports so I was able to 
communicate with a lot of people and hear what they were seeing. And I had a reel-to-reel tape recorder, big lumpy thing it was, uh, and I would take that to interviews and record people's statements and interviews and share that with the group. Wow. And I, I did all that. So, and then so I, did you put your number in the phone book as that? Yeah. yeah. I love that. You were like, here I am, I'm going to do this, I'm taking this on, this is my calling. All things I attempt to, during life of all sorts of things, I go full on. Mm. <laughs> I usually do. I just go all the way with it, you know, so um, I don't just tinker around with it. And I, I just went all the way with UFOs there, which I did again in the 90s, which we'll get to soon. Mm. But, yeah, I was involved with a, with a few people that I still have memories with and we used to go on sky watches. Skywatches are very important, and uh, that's what I learned by doing that. We'd go up to the Blue Mountains and uh, we'd have all-night skywatch vigils and stay awake all night with cameras set up and observe the sky. We didn't see a great deal, but in later years I start to see more, you know. See, UFOs are not there all the time. This is what I've learned. They come in waves, which means all of a sudden activity begins to happen and then they might go for, well, during the 90s, they went for the whole decade of the 90s. They started in about 1989 and followed through to the year 1999 Hmm. and that was for the UFO discs and uh, the large boomerang-shaped craft and cylinders and the actual aliens. It's got aliens in them, you know what I mean? Yeah. And and then when they finished, they petered off in the – into the early 2000s and then we got these other types of UFOs around which are similar to the Mexican fleet footage which was illuminated orbs behaving differently uh, which don't seem to have aliens in them but they seem to be an alien critter. I call them an alien critter but we can get onto that more detail uh, later on in our talk. I'd, I'd like to start from one from the beginning and work my way through because yes. I can recall those incidents more accurately when I do it that way. Yes, 100%. We like a journey. We're going on a storybook journey today. Sure. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so the next, um, when CB Radio first came out, this is about 94, 5, mm-hmm. I, I was one of the early pirate radios, CB Radio. I moved from Sydney in 74 And the day that I moved, I had a relative that was driving a furniture van in front of us and we were following him in my car and all my equipment was in this furniture van and uh, the whole sky in Sydney, in Western Sydney, was full of lenticular clouds. (laughs) What's a lenticular cloud? Lenticular clouds. They look like UFO discs. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, they're lens shape. And the whole sky from horizon to horizon, which is unusual for that. They usually only form in mountains. Or if you do see one like uh, on normal country, there's only this one or two or a small group, but the whole sky was full of them. And I said to my wife at the time, look at that, the UFOs are saying goodbye to us. You know, (laughs) They're here here for our next journey, you know. And uh, it was just so unusual and I couldn't take a photo, of course, because uh, my camera was packed away. But then we moved to uh, Katoomba in the Blue Mountains and it was there when CB Radio came out I uh, had one of the AM radios, if those that are familiar with it, and I went to a place called Razorback, 
it was a, a drive that goes into the dead end into the scrub because we've got the Burragaring Valley uh, is a bordering um, forest there, like it's natural. And mm. uh, there's been lots of port reports of UFO activity and strange activity in that particular area. And this particular night I was talking with uh, on my radio, CB radio with a couple of guys in uh, Sydney we were just talking away, doing you know, throwing it to one to the other, like in the early CB days. You need ten four good buddy, you know, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> it sounds like a riot. I would love that. Uh, it was it was just fun, you know, and it was very low fog. And as far as you could see, it was just a cloud of fog base. And out to the west, I saw this bright light that appeared, and I thought, oh, that might be the fog starting to lift, and that's one of the planets, like Jupiter or Venus or something. Mm. And while I'm still talking on the radio to these guys in Sydney, I'm watching this thing and it's coming my direction. I thought, that's low altitude. It must be an aircraft, single light aircraft or something. And it was still coming and it was a bright light, like the brightest Venus at night. It was a big, bright white light, you know, wow. star-like light. And uh, it kept coming. And when it got to almost to the borderline of uh, Katoomba town, I could see that it had another smaller object rotating over the top and under the bottom, like orbiting around it. And oh. I thought, no, that's a UFO. <laughs> anyway, I said to the blokes on the radio, um, hang on, just I, I've got to get out of the car and have a look at this, check out this UFO that's just come in. And they said, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I, I got out of the car and I had a torch with me. I flashed the light at the torch at this object, flash, 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 three times in a row. Mm. And it responded by just disappearing, just shot off in the opposite direction towards the north. In a twinkling of an eye, it was gone. Holy mackerel, that was fast. An instant response. So I, I looked and couldn't see it around anywhere. I thought it might have just come back a bit. But anyway, I thought if, it, if I hadn't have flashed that light, it might have come because I was on the edge of a cliff face. And if, if I hadn't flashed that light, it might have turned and come very, very close to me heading towards the Burragarang Valley, you know. But because I was there and, re and, and it responded and reacted to me, it went the opposite direction. But anyway, I got onto the CB radio again and nobody was there. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking, how long was I away? You lost track of time. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know that. But mm. it seemed strange that there was, I'd give them a call, you know, and they didn't respond, so... They seemed to disappear quite quickly, but that was a one incident where I had a close encounter, I suppose, but it was a response from my reaction. But I went on with life and relocated and just got on with earning a living and all doing all that until I returned back to Grafton in New South Wales. This was 1996, and uh, it was a beautiful winter's night. I had a top-floor unit. And I threw the curtains back when I went to bed and just with a large window there I could see the, the stars. So I laid down in bed and just looked at the stars, you know. Mm. Suddenly I saw this boomerang-shaped object that had multiple objects in it. Now, some of your listeners may be familiar with the, um, the Lubbock UFO boomerang craft that had multiple, I think it was 19 this in staggered formation, Whoa. Lubbock, Texas. The photo of that is quite famous, and it was in uh, George Adamski's first book, The Lubbock Lights. 
Anyway, I saw an object formation exactly like that. And what was familiar with that was the objects in this staggered formation, which is quite rare. The whole object was surrounded by a haze, like ionized air. There was that much energy in these. I think there was about 19 objects in this one too, just because I only saw it for a few seconds. But as soon as I saw it, I immediately knew what it was. And um, this 19 discs in a boomerang formation and uh, they get locked into position when they're in this type of formation and they don't buff it around. They almost like they're transferring energy from one to the other. And I jumped out of bed thinking there's UFOs around. There was more UFOs that night and they were low over the, the town. Oh. I could talk for days on this stuff, but anyway, there was uh, a large craft that looked like a, like a submarine conning tower, but it was a large craft which probably oh, one and a half houses long, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, there was that. And I, all I had was a 35-millimetre film camera with colour print film in it because video cameras in in 96 were just starting to become uh, available to the public. Yes. And they were were different formats. They weren't high-resolution digital like we have now, you know. So, Mm. And and I saw another one which was uh, beside my the unit where I was, there was a horse paddock and then another house. Between the trees I saw this, uh, like this is rooftop height of houses, this object moved that was made up of hundreds of very small lights, like LED lights. Whoa. And it, in the gap was about, oh, I don't know, 20-foot gap mm. at least. And uh, this object was so large, it just went past that gap and it kept coming. And I thought, that, that's huge. That was I estimate it's probably half the size of a football field at least. Mm. And it was just at rooftop height and it was made up of all these hundreds and hundreds of small, dim LED-type lights. I don't know. Could you feel it? No, but I sort of felt a little bit different after seeing that. Well, while I was watching it, you know, like that's only just there and it's huge going over people's homes. How close it is to you and you can't feel air coming onto you or because, you know, in the movies they show us when they come close, there's all this... Um, you know, you were talking about the ionised steam and stuff, but actually it's not disrupting its environment. Yeah, well, (laughs) while you're on that subject, I can tell you one where it did interfere with the environment. Oh, yeah. During the 90s up until the early 2000s, you know, like this was a continuous thing. I I was seeing these uh, objects like streaks in the sky which looked like to the untrained eye, which I first thought were uh, meteors entering the atmosphere, leaving a streak as they burn up. Mm. But some of them were extremely low altitude as if they switched off rather than burn out, you know. Anyway, I I took note of these and I moved from the centre of this town I was in to the outskirts up on a hill where I had a better view and I was able to see over the town area and had a greater expanse of sky to look at, you know. Yeah. Anyway, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed this dark object approaching and it's 
it moved so fast that it only about it was just over the other side of the antenna on the house, so it was only about fifteen feet away. And I couldn't even lay eyes on it. It was so fast. And then I lost vision of it. I could see it in the peripheral vision of my left eye as it was going away. It was just gone, you know. Anyway, when that was at its closest, I could hear the as it disturbed the air as it went through the air. Mm. You don't often hear that. Now, that thing was only the size of a football. So it was tiny. Yeah. And I saw numerous of those. Hmm. I haven't read or heard of anybody describing those particular ones. One would streak and it must like flash, but it's going so fast it leaves a streak in the sky. Hmm. And then a few seconds later, another one from a different direction would come in as if it was intercepting it. Yeah. Right? So I call these little ones interceptors. The interceptors. Because it happened so many times, it was a thing. It wasn't just a one-off thing, oh, I'll just call that. No, no, it wasn't like that. I thought... What are those things, you know? Mm. And they were only football size. But I did see one that had tiny little white wings on either one either side, uh, like little triangular wings, but the wings didn't flap, of course. They were just like to guide through the air or something, I don't know. But the object was dark and the two wings were, were white. Oh. And these things were flying overhead. They were zapping over the house, over the backyard, over the clothesline, across the street because I'd worked out a way where I can attract them, Mm. right? I won't explain how I did it because I don't want people going out there and having these things zipping around them, you know, but I discovered a way where I could let them know that I was watching them. I informed them that I was observing them. Mm. And then they probably thinking something like, well, how come he can see us? Nobody else can, you know. So so they they were coming down very, very close. I'll tell you how close. I bought a place and moved to the top of the mountains here in the Great Dividing Range. I won't name the town. Mm. But um, I went out the the back door one evening to observe the sky as usual. Mm. And one of these small objects approached me at a high speed, low over my roof, and came down at shoulder height to me and just beyond arm's length away from me. And I, I, I laid my eyes on it when it did that, and then it went around the back of me and came out the left-hand side of me, and I spotted it again just beyond arm's length. It was moving rapidly. And then it came around in front of me and then took off over the house next door and then shot off, leaving a white streak in the sky. Wow. <laughs> it circled me. It was playing. It was playing with you. It was Probably. like you were interacting. Yeah, interacting, you know, like wow. what's going on? You know, like, so it wasn't moving so fast. Could you reach out and physically touch it as a physical object or was it, it more like a ghost or a spirit? No, it's a physical object, absolutely physical object. Wow. Uh, but it was just far enough away where I couldn't touch it, luckily. Yeah. That was when I got a bit of adrenaline rush. Mm. I've only got adrenaline rush twice because so close, and that was one time that I got adrenaline rush. And was that fear, do you think? No, no. It's just, you know, like it's just the surprise element. I've never had fear, mm. and I've had some really close and unusual events happen. Yeah. But I've, ne- I've never felt actual fear. 
I had one in my bedroom once. Let's just, this comes to mind. Oh, please. <laughs> I woke up, um, I don't know, it was early morning. I don't know exactly what time. And uh, there was this object against the window. It was between me and the window, which was about a metre away. Yeah. And uh, it was only about 20 centimetres, say. Anyway, wow. it was, if you hold your hand, like if your points point out, you mm. hold your hand like vertically and then you twist your wrist left and right with the, with your fingers moving like yep. that, like vertically, yep. that's what it was doing. Wow. And I'm just laying in bed, oh, I've never seen one do that before. <laughs> <laughs> Playing a day normal. Playing, yeah, normal. Anyway, and, and I'm looking at it and, it and it did that for about oh, 15 seconds and then wow. it just vanished. It just vanished in front of my eyes. And this was inside your bedroom? Inside my bedroom, yeah. And I could see it because there was a street light outside the house that I was in at the time and the light from the street light was shining on the window mm. and I could see the silhouette of this thing in front of the window. Wow. There was no noise, no other indication it was there, just me watching it. The strange thing is a daytime wave of UFOs came through one day there was an object that was rotating horizontally and it had like f three or four bright white sections like lights and that would go around and then when it come around again, it was it'd, you'd see it again. I, I videotaped this. It's on my YouTube channel and um, it, it went behind a, a large tree that was in the corner of the house block. So I hurried down to the back fence so I could get a, another view of this uh, object. It was very, very low. Mm. Anyway, when I saw it again, it was doing that exact same movement that I just explained with this one in my bedroom. Yeah. This was two weeks after that one in my bedroom, the wow. same identical movement. And I thought, how how did it know to do that, you know? It's like waving. More or less it'd say, oh, remember me? You know? Yeah, hello, <laughs> but, Barry. Yeah. I, I don't know. Who knows? But it was the only time I've ever seen any object do that particular movement. That was weird, and I videoed that as well. And I stabilised that piece of video and slowed it down. And some people say, oh, it's a bird flapping its wings. But when you look at it, a bird doesn't flap its wings in this manner. It's like a bird flaps its wings up and down, you know, like yeah. in flight. This thing is not in flight. It, it's wobbling. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I same. think... There's always going to be people who say, that's not real. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's natural, but. That comes with the territory, doesn't it? It does. You know, like people without experience and have no knowledge of the subject, well, that's just, they're just drawing on their knowledge base, which was, oh, it's a bird. That's about as far as their knowledge base goes that might explain that movement, you know. Mm. Or the, there's one object I'm thinking of that, uh, which I call the jellyfish UFO. It's a round orb which I started to video and saw on numerous times and interacted with them as well. Mm -hmm. It was a, a round object, self-illuminated, uh, with a dangling appendage. Oh. And this dangling appendage, I've got video of it moving horizontally, swishing horizontally, and then changing to swish vertically. The object was a like a living critter, this is my opinion because mm. I have close looks at them and I've been able to compare a lot of stuff together. Yeah. I think they're a living critter. It's like the jellyfish in the ocean. You wouldn't think that 
because it doesn't have legs. It just has this dangling appendage, mm. and they use that to propel themselves through the water as well as their the body themselves. You know, they mm. they move that. But I saw numerous of those, and I filmed filmed this one, and um, yeah. Oh, there's so much to tell you. <laughs> Have you ever been abducted? I don't claim to be an abductee. But mm. if I can go back to when I was 10-year-old, I had three nights in a row where I knew something was happening uh, with little people, and I the first night I asked, because I can't remember what they look like. I have no recollection of what they look like. And I asked them why their craft is shaped like an egg. And the response I got was, to withstand the pressures of space flight. Wow. I had no knowledge of UFOs at that young age. The next morning I, I knew something had happened and that's when I got, you know, who was I talking to to get that information, you know? Yes. But I knew it was going to happen one more time again the next oh, you night. you felt it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I knew. I'd, somehow I knew, whether I was told but don't remember hearing a voice telling me mm. that we'll, we'll come and see you again tomorrow night. Anyway, that tomorrow night came and I'm in bed and I thought, well, you're not going to get me this time because I'm going to stay awake all night. You know? yeah. <laughs> anyway, I stayed awake as long as I could and I, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, well, they're going to do it. They're going to do it anyway. You know? yeah. <laughs> so next morning I woke up and I knew that the same thing had happened but there was one more night to go. We got one more night. It's going to happen again the next night. So I just went to bed and said, oh, well, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I went straight to sleep, you know. <laughs> Didn't wait up this time. Get it over with. <laughs> no, but I did get a, a spot of blood on my pillow about the level of my nose at mm. one morning. And then on my right shin I got a small scab, which I now know to be a scoop mark. It had a Scoop mark. Scoop mark, yeah. The flesh was taken for DNA sampling or something like that. Whoa. I still have that scar today. In 97, I had a, someone visiting me that we were talking about this subject and scoop marks and implants and that sort of stuff. I said, oh, i got one of those scoop marks on my shin here. And do you think I could find it? I, <laughs> I'm trying to get the light in the angle and I thought, I oh, know it's there, but I couldn't see it. I got one there somewhere, you know. Yes. It's sort of healed over over the years. But it wasn't that long after that, I woke up one morning and here's that scoop mark. It's a purple plum colour, like it's oh. been interfered with again, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, my goodness. So that's when I took a photo of it. The photo is actually in my book. I got oh, it's a, in your book, good. I wrote a book about all this stuff and um, I put it, I self-published it. I only got hard copy printed, 50 copies. I paid for it myself and just so I could, I could hand copies out so they could go into the state library so that they were a registered book. Yeah, the information is registered. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting that that mark had unseen not long ago and then went purple like as if interfered with again in that period of time. Mm. Yeah, strange stuff. Strange stuff. And when that happened to you when you were 10, do you think that you changed, I suppose you didn't really have the logical ability because you were so young to understand consciousness and expanding, but do you think that your experience gave you sort of like a intuition to connect with them and and that opened up 
something that made it safe for you to connect with them and then you've been able to go through your entire life talking to these beings and and seeing these structures yeah definitely yeah Mm. (sighs) yeah yeah look what's happened i got some stories to tell you that proves beyond doubt that these aliens are a direct link to humans Mm. they've been here a long time they're hidden to most people but some people have the ability to see them and become aware of them Mm. and once they become aware of them they get information yes they get events happen Uh, you know i can see that even just talking about it now and and just the thought of that early experience in your life has brought up so much emotion for you well, I was starting to get premonitions and uh, like I remember one time my parents had a business that worked late hours sometimes and uh, I was sitting in the motor vehicle parked in the street mm. and uh, I, I thought to myself, there's going to be a fire engine rip past here in a minute with a siren going. Wow. And about 10, 15 minutes later, that happened. Your psychic abilities were enhanced. Yeah, it seems that way, yeah. Mm. And um, I, I can tell you one thing that comes to mind, which is a real mind blower to me when you think about it. Please blow our minds, Barry. <laughs> I'm loving this. <laughs> we, we, we'll go into uh, 1990, about 1998. I was working shift work, but I was working in a production line uh, factory type thing. I was working odd hours. Anyway, this particular night I was just laying in bed to go to sleep and I I'd seen so many UFOs during this period mm. and I'm thinking, oh, wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be interesting if I'm at work, you know, and this um, silvery orb came over the top of the building and it was just slow enough where I could have a real good look at it and mm. I could grab aluminium or something and flash at it to let it know that I'm observing it. And, yeah. And I'm just thinking, oh, yeah, 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 the next morning I just got up and started work early at 6 o'clock or something. We had smoke over like morning tea and yep. uh, most of the workers had gone back into the work but I was had an outside job and I'm standing there over the top of the building <laughs> came this silvery orb about the size of a beach ball and it had a corona of energy around it and it manoeuvred slowly over that creek and I called to a workmate. I said, hey, Tim, come out here and have a look at this. So he, he quick, hurry. And he looked at it. He came out and I said, what do you think it is? He said, that's a UFO. <gasps> I said, it is. And I'm looking around now for this piece of aluminium or something that I can flash at it to make that imagining incident come true, but yeah. I couldn't see anything. Anyway, we both watched it and it just it continued like doing 20 kilometres an hour or less, you know what I mean? It was so slow. And anyway, we lost sight of it and the other guy, he went back to do his job and I stepped forward more so I can have a better look at it as much as I can and I saw it increase speed and shoot off to the left, shoot off to the east, mm. took off. It was there to fulfil my thought. Now, when you think about it, did I have a premonition that was going to be there or was it reading my mind and say, well, we'll enact, we'll enact that for you so you you know we've got a communication, you know what I mean? Yes. Try and figure that one out. 
It's a real humdinger, isn't it? Because <laughs> are they telepathically connecting to you, do you think? Oh, they are, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And when you were speaking to them, you know, an example of when you were 10, were you speaking with them out loud or telepathically? Well, when I was 10, I didn't really follow up on UFOs. I just had that incident and I had things like, like I, I came home from school one time I was probably 11 or 12 and uh, I heard this voice as, loud, as clear as I'm hearing your voice there just say, Barry. And that was it. And uh, by the tone and the, the nature of that voice, it sounded like a mature, educated man, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it was just something special. And I and I, I said, yes, God. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want, mate? I, I can hear you. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was. Oh, the innocence <laughs> a, of that. A strange reaction, eh? Yeah. Yes, but, God, what know. do you want? <laughs> How can I help you today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. It, it's strange. I had um, so many things happen. I'll tell you something that may help some people sometime in their life. Mm. My father was in hospital and uh, he didn't have long to live. My mother and I, we knew this was the night that was going to happen. So my mother and I decided to stay an all-night vigil to see it through. Mm. Anyway, around 8 o'clock that night, I uh, thought, I'll go outside. I want to read my two daughters to tell them their grandfather's not going to live through the night. It's going to pass on. When I was saying goodbyes to them, I got overcome with grief. That feeling of grief hit me for the first time, you know. Yes. And then I looked up and I saw this bright light, like uh, like a Venus-type bright light at low altitude, only about a kilometre away. And then my grief just left me straight away. And I thought, that's a UFO, because I'd seen and videotaped numerous videos of those lights mm. at low altitude before, and some of them very close. Yeah. I watched it and it sort of, I lost a view of it behind the trees that were along the boundary fence. So I quickly moved a bit further forward where I could get a better view of it. And then it moved on a bit further and, and then it faded out. And then I could just see the little bright object, which was the source of the brighter light. Mm. And it just went into the distance. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. Anyway, when I went inside, packed into the hospital, I didn't say anything to my mother about that. But I was sitting beside my father, and um, when I crossed my legs, I could see the room was had a heat haze in it. It was like a, you know, like a heat haze. Mm. I thought, well, that's, that's not right, you know. Like the hot on a hot day on the bitumen. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah. The the air was moving in a heat haze, and it had that movement of air, like it looked that looked like that. But it wasn't heat. And uh, we were in a, a dim, darkened room, you know, they, they turned the lights out for us and uh, just was the light from the office, which was just outside the door, was shining in for a bit of ambient light. And I looked around at my father and just above his head was a, um, a light blue egg-shaped form which stayed there just for a few moments and then disappeared. And I thought something special is happening here. I didn't say anything to my mother about that yet. Anyway, she was standing up, just stretching her legs at one point, and um, 
there was a window behind my back and she was facing that, just looking out the window, I guess. night. This is 2 o'clock in the morning now. Yes. And um, she said, what was that? And I said, what was what? She said, look, look out the window, it was like an aeroplane or a light of something. I turned around. I couldn't see anything, you know. And I thought, oh, well, she might have been a car went past or something. And I turned back around and she said, oh, look, there it is again, you know. <laughs> I said, what did sound like? Yeah, yeah. So I got curious. So I got up and went to the window and there was a tree which was hiding most of the sky from that view mm-hmm. and then buildings across the road. And it was only a small bit of sky and I thought, meh. So she wouldn't have got that excited about a plane. It wouldn't have been a plane, you know. Yes. Like. Anyway, now she's got my curiosity. So every now and then I'm turning around to see if I can see anything. And one time I turned around just outside the window, and I'm talking almost against the glass of the window, mm. was this gold object. It was was about two foot long like wow. 60 centimetres long, and it was straight edge, square corner, not yellow, but gold, like a gold ingot. And when, wow. when I laid eyes on it, it just just hovered backwards and forwards a bit and then shot off to the right as if to say, oh, heck, you can see me, I'm, I'm out of here type thing. Got to go. But and I thought, wow, that is something. And I, I didn't say anything to my mother about that then either because I'm mm. trying to sort this out in my own mind, you know. All these things come together, there's something happening here. Yeah. Anyway, about 20 to 3 it would have been because I had my hand on my father's stomach where he had an aneurysm and then I said, Mummy's gone. <sighs> so we both stood up beside the bed and we looked down at him and Mum says, look at his face. She said, he's young again. His face is glowing. Wow. <laughs> yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> and I had to agree. I said, I agree with you. That's that's pretty special, that, you know, like mm. here he is, 80-something-year-old, and his face is glowing and it's blooming young again, you know what I mean? <clears throat> anyway, um, I called the nurse and said, you know, like he's, he's gone now. And uh, so... When we left, I just put my arm out. Mum put her arm through my arm and we just walked out and we never had a tear in our eye. We never had no nothing. We just had this amazing experience under those circumstances that you just couldn't believe. It was almost a peace. I don't know. I mean, surely we're not the first people in the history of humanity on this planet to have seen and witnessed that. Mm. Surely not. No. That Absolutely. was there because of my father dying. Do you think that they have, the the aliens and ETs, they choose certain families in a, like to connect with or is it completely random? Well, that's what um, a lot of researchers that study the abduction type thing uh, mm. do make that statement because interviewing the abductee, so-called contactee or whatever we call them, contactees, and then their family, your mother, ask your mother whether she's... Uh, had the experiences or whatever, and it seems to go down a family line. And if they're taking sampling of DNA, that makes sense, you know, uh, looking at the uh, variations in the, uh, the how being on this planet has changed our DNA since we were first planted here, mm. like humans were first planted here. 
But um, just to go a little more on that story with the hospital, the next morning I got my mother to explain what she actually saw, and it was rectangular, the same shape as the one that I saw, the gold one I saw, but they were silver white. The first one came in to the window, into the past the window, and the second time when she said, oh, there it is again, that's when it went out. That was the last time she'd seen it. And she said, what do you think they were? And I said, well, I'd call them UFOs, but what if they were angels? Angels are depicted with wings because they fly. Anyway, I said, well, let's just call them angels because they were there for the sole purpose that my father was passing away. And my parents were both atheists. They never went to church. They never spoke about religion, all that. And from every night for the rest of her life, I could hear her out loud praying, and her last words were, and thank you for the angels. Oh, I'm going to cry, Barry. That is just amazing. Now, how, how can something so profound affect you, like happened like that? And that's, you don't need to explain that, do you? No, you don't. You're having an experience that is true and true to you. And the thing about it is there's going to be non-believers, but I can't relate to them because it's a visceral feeling, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, uh, the rest of our family uh, were churchgoers and they must have contacted their minister to come around and comfort us. (laughs) Oh, my God. The last thing you needed. He pulled up out the front. And I, I thought, oh, Jesus, if Anyway, <laughs> I walked out and I introduced myself and, and I said, don't worry, mate. I said, we're all okay. We saw angels. He never said a word. He turned around and got in his car and drove off. <laughs> oh, my God, that's amazing. Do you think he thought you were crazy? I don't know what he thought, but anyway, he wasn't going to deal with me. <laughs> he was like, nope, I'm out. See ya. This is above my pay grade. I'm not not going there. (laughs) Do you still contact the angels? Well, we can go into where my mother four years later passed away. Mm. I comforted her. I looked after her and saw her to the last at home. She didn't want to go to hospital or a nursing home. I said, well, you don't have to if I can look after you. Mm. So that's what I did. Anyway, um, just before she passed away, like I'm talking probably a few weeks, she was unwell and uh, I was there looking after her. And she had a lump in the breast and I had to get a breast removed basically. So I took her up to the hospital uh, and uh, it was the first floor of the hospital. Just as we were coming through the double doors into the office, I looked up. And I saw where the wall met the ceiling in that office was full of orbs. Wow. Mate, I looked along right to the very end of the room and they they were size of uh, probably about six, eight inches in diameter Mm -hmm. and there were no coloured ones. There was light grey to dark grey, all these orbs. And as soon as I walked in the door and saw them, they shot into my chest, like shoo, into my oh. chest. And I and it, whoa, set me back a bit, you know. I felt this energy in my chest. And then I looked back up and no orbs. All the orbs had gone. 
I thought, what the heck happened there? You know oh what I mean? Oh my god, I'm gasping. That is, I didn't yeah. know that they could enter your body. I didn't either, but that's what happened. One minute they're there, next minute into my chest, and there was no more orbs. <sighs> anyway, I, I t- immediately turned to my mother and said, uh, "Oh, that operation you're going to have, there's going to be no trouble at all. You'll be just perfect. We won't even know you've had it." And uh, anyway, she went through that operation and the doctor was saying, after the operation, you'll have to carefully use your fingers to walk your arm up the wall to stretch the muscles Mm. and tendons and, you know, it's going to take a few weeks to get back to normal. Anyway, after the operation, she was in there having a shower and the nurse came in and said, where's your mother? I said, she's having a shower. She said, what? (laughs) I said, yeah, yeah, she's she's good, you know. Like she never had any. Pro- it was like she never even had the operation. Oh my and god! She just like healed it instantly, Instant. basically. You know, it's anyway, like a miraculous healing. Well, she didn't have to go through all that stretching the tendons and all this sort of stuff, you know. Like it was just no worries. That was just another little thing. I love that oh, you yeah. called it a little thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big thing, Barry. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. I mean, that just goes to show that your experiences over the last how many years have been so there's been so many of them and they've been so meaningful mm-hmm. that that sort of a thing for your mum was just another run of the mill miracle. Yeah, but that's not finished with my mum either. Oh yet. God, we've got more. I can't wait. Yeah. And uh so I looked after her when she was pretty well bedridden, and mm. uh, one morning she said, she said, see those uh, coloured orbs up there, like looking up to the ceiling, are, are they real? <laughs> <laughs> I looked up, I couldn't see anything, and I said, yeah, they're real, Mum. Uh, they're here for you, but I can't see them. That's what I said. <sighs> they're, they're here for you, but I can't see them. Only you can see them. I don't know how many times I drove through town around this main intersection and the streetlights went out. <laughs> so you're carrying some sort of energy, Barry. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Yeah, you're we carrying had, some had, sort of connection. We had a UFO researcher, Susie Hansen from New Zealand, that was speaking at our organisation here mm. one month. Anyway, um, I was driving her home to where she was staying. Yeah. And uh, we came around the freeway onto the side road and two streetlights went out, boom, boom, one after the other. And I said, oh, there's one each. (laughs) (laughs) Did she feel it? Like she was like, yep. No, but uh, she noticed, but the penny didn't drop type thing Mm. of what was happening, you know, but I've done that before numerous times. I I drove along the freeway and, you know, the signs on the overpass, it's got the speed limit. It's lots of little LED Mm. little lights. Half those went out once. I looked up at it and half the lights went out. Oh, my goodness. Well, half the lights don't just go out. That's like (laughs) an energetic power. Like in, do you watch Stranger Things on Netflix? Probably not. (laughs) No, no, I haven't, no. No, it sounds very Stranger Things. I don't tend to watch a lot of TV or movies. They've got to be interesting for me. Like people say, oh, you must have watched X-Files. No, I I didn't, you know, it's... I watched a little bit one about the Roswell thing, but I just, for some reason, it's like books. I haven't got the patience to read a book, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like 
actually what you're doing is you're out there and you're observing your world. So presently you're out there looking at the sky at night, you've got other things going on. The thing I love hearing about your stories is that you have no fear. And I think media and TV and the powers above the government and whatever, they try to fill us with this feeling of fear about all of this paranormal activity. And I just love that you're so open and calm and peaceful about it all because I don't think we need to have fear about it. No. Yeah, well, you're right there. I've experienced that. Like I'm an only child. My mother nearly died. She had problems Mm. carrying me as a child and uh, like she couldn't keep food down for the time she was pregnant. She couldn't even keep water down. How she survived, I don't know. Mm. But she did. She survived and there was therefore no more children because we're going to risk that again, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was uh, an only child but certainly not spoilt because my parents were in business and the only time we had a family dinner was in some early years on a Sunday. Mm. That's when we could all be together. But I pretty well bought myself up. I'd come home from school and I'd hit the streets. And, uh, yeah, I'd come home when the streetlights come on. And I, mm. I could have been anywhere. I'd ride my bike. When I got my bike, I could ride it out into the farming community and just call into people in the dairies and check it out, you know. Yeah. I'd just bring myself up. Yeah. I, I've had to deal with things on my own all my life, basically, you know. Mm. But with the UFOs and other paranormal stuff that happens, if we can go back to the orbs that went into my body, into my chest during the hospital, we went to a mind-body-spirit festival in Sydney, their first one, and there was uh, mediums and psychics and all those type of people there. I went up to a medium and asked, I said, I've got a story I want you to hear and I want your opinion on it. And I told her the story about all these orbs entering my chest in the hospital and she said, what do you think happened to you? And I thought, well, the only thing I can think of is when I walked through that doorway, they saw me as a bright light and a way out of where they were to continue their journey. She said, that's exactly what happened. Whether they saw me as a bright light, I don't know, but something caught their attention when I went through that door and they saw I was able to release them because they would have died in the hospital earthbound some of them probably didn't even know they were dead, yeah. <laughs> knowing what you know what happens. And uh, some didn't know where to go or they were waiting for something to happen and they were just lost. Mm. Apparently I was able to help them on their journey, release them. And when you say them, we're talking about angels, spirits or aliens. I'm talking about the souls of the dead humans. The souls of the dead humans, yep. People go to hospital and die in hospital. Mm. I believe there is a soul, each human has a soul energy mm. that gives it, that's the life giver in you and then when you die, your body is shed and that soul goes to another dimension as an orb. Yes, okay, yep. And that's what the orbs are. When digital cameras came in, people started photographing orbs mm. and I, I was doing the same. And people are saying, well, oh, that's just dust or it's water droplets. And so I put all this to the test, you know, mm. out when it's raining, spray, mist spray and photographing and doing all sorts of stuff to try and prove if it's water drops or if it's dust. And it's yeah. some can be, but very unlikely. And 
orbs are orbs. Yes, orbs because are orbs. Because the, yep. the CCD in the camera is the light-sensitive chip in the camera. It's much more sensitive to certain light waves, certain light frequencies beyond our vision, mm. infrared and ultraviolet. It has the sensitivity to pick up these unseen objects <laughs> because they, you can take a filter off the CCD chip and then you've got an infrared camera. You can yeah. photograph infrared. It's only this filter that they put over it that's, that cuts out that infrared frequency that be able to take normal photos. Mm. People say, oh, it's only before digital cameras. No, there was a show on TV where this guy was collecting electric chairs from the, the Americans when they used to electric, oh, electrocute their prisoners. Yeah. yeah, he had one of these and he took a photograph of this chair using a film camera and there was an orb down the bottom, a beautiful round orb, you know, and uh, the guy said, well, what's that thing down there? He said, oh, that's that's an orb, probably a spirit of one of the person that killed him. I said, yay, someone's got one with a digital camera and that's what they think and that's probably 100% right, you know. Yes, you're not the only one. No, but I've done that. We've been out in the scrub and got I've taken uh, photos of orbs and mm. in cemeteries with with film camera, I've tested all. I've tested all that stuff. You know? Yes, because you've and developed I, your own technology, haven't you, in order to capture all of this activity? Well, not so much technology. I'm, I'm using current technology, but I'm putting it to the test under certain circumstances. Mm. And the early stages, like in the early '96 and '98, I started to get my own video footage and photographs of UFOs. And I had to some way enhance those and I wanted to show people what's happening, you know. Mm. So with my 35mm camera, I was taking nighttime photos and I at 30th of a second, which I know anything above 30, you might get motion blur and I didn't want to get motion blur. So I'm taking pretty well photos in the dark and then force processing the footage where I can try and recover the very faint, illuminated object that's in there somewhere <laughs> and I was able to do that to a certain extent and uh, I, I chased the internet for um, the footage that I needed and I got a false colouring enhancing program. It was one of the very early versions of a program which uh, did the same effect as NASA does when it's uh, analysing comets and all that sort of stuff. You get the, the shift in the colour or any alteration in density it changes shows a different color pretty oh, amazing yeah, okay. stuff but I, I learned how to to use it and identify I, I want to get a bright light UFO and I want to see what's the source of that energy so that mm. I'm looking right in the heart of that illumination from what the camera can pick up so, so that's the, for the that was, energy source within the photo yeah Mm-hmm. And that's that's the whole idea of was it a disc or is it an orb or what's what's the source of this bright illumination? And wow. you can, that's the only way you can do it using false color enhancing programs, but you can't get them now. <laughs> and and then video video analysis. I was doing video stabilization in the early stages before anybody else was pretty well doing it. Mm. I was doing it one frame at a time, and someone must have known that. I was aware that I was doing it and said, try this program. It was a commercial program and I was able to run the footage through and it would automatically do quickly one frame at a time and stabilise it. So once the footage is stabilised, 
I was then able to really super zoom into it and then apply some enhancing features to get a good look at what somebody or myself had videotaped. Mm. It was pretty technical stuff and there wasn't anybody else around doing it, but I know MUFON had one guy that was doing it and he was the only other one at that stage that was um, attempting to do this analysis. You're a bit of a trailblazer, aren't you? Uh, in them days, um, well, I was the only sky watcher in that time that was getting footage of UFOs in Australia. I was exchanging footage with a few sky watchers in America that were the only ones in America getting the sky watch footage. Mm. So footage that was going into um, videos, uh, documentaries on news, was all taken by sky watchers at that early stages. Yeah. And I was exchanging my footage with their footage, so I was getting like the Phoenix Lights is another one. The guy called Tom King over there got the best footage of that event, the 10 o'clock Phoenix Lights events, and you can see clearly that they're flares. Mm -hmm. But he didn't release his own footage. The others did, but he sent me a copy and I've analysed that. And uh, the the Phoenix Lights event is flares. How fascinating. That doesn't mean they weren't going through a UFO flap, which they actually were Mm. because there was more footage of the early evening. There was UFOs, true UFOs flying around that evening. The Lay family witnessed large boomerang craft with several objects in it and they were in the middle of a UFO flap, put it basically. And a UFO flap is like, um, what is that? Well, when when there's no UFOs, there's nothing there and then UFO activity slowly starts to come in and over a period of time, that's a, a UFO wave. Mm. The UFO wave of the 90s uh, of the UFO disc was between 89 and 99. During that period, there's a worldwide wave of UFO activity. And during that wave period, you get a high concentration of up to, well, in my experience, up to three days and nights of high energy activity. Three where you days get, and nights, yep. That's that's a flap. I mean, there's UFOs every 10, 20 minutes. Every night you go out there and you're guaranteed to see something. Between uh, 96 and 99, there was only one month where I never had nightly activity. How do we know when we're going into a UFO flap? Like, do you, does someone like you, because you've got that psychic connection going on, can you predict when it's going to happen? Well, I, I have previously, during that period of time, had dreams where uh, there's going to be UFO activity and we do have a UFO wave. But now that they've gone away, like the gap in between the waves, more or less, when there's nothing happening, it's a matter of um, relying on the public to report to you as soon as they see something. Mm. doesn't matter if it's minor or just something that you can't explain. Let us know inform people that once we know there's activity, we can send other people out there with cameras because now we've got infrared cameras and that we, which I wish I had during the 90s, yeah. uh, that we can get out there and get some footage because footage is something that's evidence. Yes. And that's about all you can get. And it's just about communicating is what I'm getting there, just communicating with everybody and who's like-minded so that you can gather the evidence together and experience it together. Yeah, yeah. Now that the military and the US military are openly admitting UFOs exist, they're more or less saying that 
pointing to the finger at uh, they are a threat because they got no control over them observing their war machines, mm. which is understandable, I suppose, but they have um, disabled nuclear missiles. Well, good on them, you know, like I reckon. Yes. Uh, we don't need that sort of stuff. And if they're showing that they can do that if they want to, and hopefully they, they will if the time ever comes. Yeah, it sounds to me like they're trying to save humanity from themselves by doing that, by disarming the missiles, by, you know, interfering with military actions and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the military have been following this stuff since the 70s. I mean, I've taken Mm -hmm. a photograph and 8 millimeter film stuff of certain things and I don't get that footage back. So that was a thing during the 70s that you send your photos all had to go through the Kodak processing. Yep. But were filtered out anything that was unexplained or UFO. And really? So you didn't yeah, get yeah. all your photos back? No, no. If you photographs <sighs> and slides, that includes slides, photographs, because all this stuff had to be sent to Kodak Film Processing Laboratories. And obviously they had the word given to them, anything that looks like this, this or this, send it to us. Don't send it back to the person who's got to put some blank Good ones in there. Oh, that shot, cover up. Yeah, this this shot didn't didn't come out. Type thing, you know, like. <laughs> but that's been happening since the seventies. So who knows what sort of footage they've got? How do you keep? Your findings safe with all of that going on, and how do you keep yourself safe? Have you ever been stalked or harassed by, you know, a weird set of male twins in black suits that come to your front door <laughs> and flash you with a thing? Yeah, well, just first of all, is I got a few stories on that, but I think I've been hit by a, a, a microwave weapon. Whoa! A unit I was renting at the time had a little back patio and I was sitting on that one evening knowing there's UFOs around with um, camera ready to use mm. and I suddenly I started to get cooked on the inside in my chest and I thought I'm being hit by a microwave so I raced inside and it went away. Strangely enough, what would it be four or five years later I had to have a triple bypass surgery because uh, one of my main arteries was like it was cooked, you know what I mean? Oh, my expanded, God. Expanded, yeah. And I looked up to see are these weapons true and they are. Mm. So yeah. it's like a microwave laser? Yeah. And it points, you know, someone will be pointing it precisionly at you at your chest. Yeah. From from someone who's otherwise in good health shouldn't have had to have a triple bypass. Yeah, that's right. And mysteriously, oh, sorry, he died of a heart attack or whatever, you know, like, oh, no questions asked. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? You hear those, you know, it's very sus. Yeah. I know my phone's been tapped, especially in the 90s. And how could you tell? You could hear noises. Yeah. Or or the tone changed. What sort of noises, like? Oh, digital noises. Oh, yeah, digital noises. Mm. It's probably a bit more sophisticated now, isn't it? Well, that's what they thought the digital noise one was probably. But, I mean, they do slip up sometimes. Yes. Yeah. And do you feel afraid of that? No. Nah, nah. You don't oh, really care? I've had, like, gunshots go off at night two, two doors from me, into mm. fired into a creek, you know, like it drives past 
a house and build up area and fire a gunshot into a creek. What, are you trying to tell me something or what? Yeah. You're not duck shooting at 2 o'clock in the morning, are you? Yeah, and then they blame the, the gangs or the bikies or, you know, there's all this infighting in the neighbourhood. No, it was just us. Yeah. No, look, I'm, I'm not worried. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll tell you an incident that's another amazing incident. Uh, a young guy rang me when I was in Grafton. We made arrangements to meet at uh, the shopping centre have a coffee and have a chat, you know. Mm. So we did. It was must have been winter because we we had coats on. It was pretty cold, mm. and uh, we met up there. And on the veranda there was uh, a row of the round table or the tables with the umbrella through the hole in the middle of the table. So we decided to sit at these ones with the umbrella. And so we started talking, and the umbrella slid down, just closed up. So I said, I oh, just you know like stood up and re twisted the thing to hold it up, it'd be right. Anyway, started talking again and slid down again. Uh, oh, that's a bit weird, you know. So I right, got it and I really rang it as tight as I could screw this thing on that should hold it. Mm. I said, that's not going to move. So we started talking again and it slid down again. So I said, oh, this is weird. We're going to have to move over these other tables. So when I stood up, I just just loosely tied that thing up, screwed the thing so it'll stay up and, for the next hour we're there, it never slid down again. Yeah. But we moved over to these other tables and we only best started to talk again and this gentleman came in from, I was watching him walk towards me from the entrance there. Mm. He was a tall guy, about six foot two, solid built but not muscly. Mm. He had on a tight T-shirt that was about three sizes too small for him. <laughs> and a pair of shorts that were about three sizes too small for him. Yeah. And so someone said, here, wear these clothes, you know what I mean? He was really proud of his body, that's for well, sure. I don't, he was ill-formed, dressed, you know, for the climate, yeah. you know. Anyway, sat down facing me and put this little square black box in front of him oh and he God. never lifted his eyes off it, never ordered a coffee, he never murmured, never moved. <laughs> For the hour that we were there, I wish I had a camera. I didn't have a camera. I would have taken a photo of him. But anyway, I got a full description of him. And when I went in to order our coffee, I I looked through the the tinted window and he was still staring down at this little box. Anyway, (laughs) when we left, I got to the step, which was only probably five or six paces away. Yeah. And I turned to look at the table and he was gone. Oh, I wonder if it was his first day on the job as well. <laughs> I don't know. But oh, anyway. He just did not, he didn't fit into the scenery, did he? No, and he wasn't leaving the way he came and he wasn't going into the, he would have had to get through the double glass doors into the shopping centre. I couldn't see him in there. And that's only just a few seconds and he's gone, you know. Yeah. Anyway, that night, the same night, a friend that I uh, that had contact experiences rang me and says, "Hey Barry, I'm I'm in Grafton. Uh, you want to meet up at the club and we'll have a beer, you know, mm. and a chat." And I said, "Sure." So I went in there and I told him about this guy. We chatted a bit and I just had one drink and then I said, "Oh, I got to go, mate. I got things I got to do and come around tomorrow, sort of thing on the Sunday." Anyway, he rang me uh, later. He said, you know that bloke you described? He said, yeah. Well, he walked, as soon as you left, he came in and sat down on the table beside me, ordered a beer and never touched it all the time that I was there. And I said, do you have a look at that black box he's looking at? And he says, I didn't see that. 
He said, but it was the same description and he never drank any of their beer. Oh, so, my God. So, yeah. Anyway, He was um, so blatantly stalking you. Yeah, but he probably thought, oh, they won't pick me, you know, like. They won't notice. Notice this, you know, like, no, no worries. We did. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, mm. the, the guy that I was saying, my friend, he taught me how to douse. What's that? You know, the dowsing rods where you find water and that no. sort of stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 sorry, yes. Yeah, dows. So maybe explain it for people who don't know. Use a bit of coat hanger, bent coat hanger wire and hold it out and you activate it. It becomes activated with your energy and you can consciously ask to find water or you can consciously ask them to find or do anything you want, basically. They'll let you know. They'll move independently and uh, when they find water, they'll cross over. You, you ask them what's yes, which is yes, and so they might cross over. What's no? If I ask you a question, it's no. What's the answer? And it'll they'll spread out. That'll be the no. So you can ask them a question. If they cross, that's a yes, or they spread out there to no. You can hone in on something, anything. Basically. And who? When you say they, who's operating the coat hangers? Like who's navigating that? Whatever energy is coming through your conscious, subconscious or your consciousness, mm. this is something that some people know about or the ancients knew about and they taught that in school. <laughs> Everybody was aware of it. Like it's awakening your awareness, you know, like mm. that's what sky watching does, particularly at night. It expands your awareness and not only expands your awareness but your night vision and your peripheral vision develop together. You can see things in the dark and you become aware of something before it comes within your normal awareness range. We only have a couple of metres range of awareness. Anything within that we become aware of. Anything beyond that we're not aware of because it's out of our awareness range. Where Mm. UFOs, their awareness range must go as far as you can see. Their awareness is so incredible, sharp. I've seen yep. it. It's something that can be developed, and we probably had it more in our day-to-day life, many in earlier civilizations, when we had to rely on uh, our awareness for survival out in the wild. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. We definitely, you know, we weren't delivered our food when we wanted it That's on the right. spot. We had to go out and use our intuition and use our physical abilities and and go and find it. And you had to see something, a predator, before it saw you mm. type thing. You can develop that. For somebody who wants to develop and expand their consciousness and connect to all of this stuff, how would you recommend that they safely do that? I found it, first of all, to skywatch at night develops your night vision and your ability to see black objects in a night sky, and that's what you're mm. doing to develop when looking for UFOs or anything else that might be up there. And by doing it regularly, you become accustomed to the cones and rods in your eye uh, exercising and being put to use, and therefore your part of the brain that takes in the vision is able to analyse this new information or or expand on it, you know what I mean? So it gets the whole system operating, fine-tuning it all. Mm. Once you do that... Then I, I used to be able to uh, turn around and say there's a plane coming even before I could hear it. Wow. Just get the sense of it behind me back. 
Yeah. You get you get the awareness of it. You know your your awareness, and you you know you get the feeling someone's watching you. Mm. That type of thing can be spread out even more. Mm. I can go to a shopping center and I can pick up people's energy <laughs> way before I even become aware become that they aware can. That they're not sitting in your face. You can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've tested that and done that a lot of times. You know. Wow. So and, you've been practicing, or it's just practice. It, it just happens, you know, like once you tune it in, it just happens naturally. It becomes mm. part of what you do, you know what I mean? Yeah. You carry that day and night with you. It's, your awareness is there and it's there all the time then. Mm. And you just have to be open and willing. Yeah. So I wondered if we could loop back to talking about being abducted and being contacted because you said that you haven't been fully abducted into a ship but do you know much about that what have your really like close encounters been like with with actual creatures with actual aliens well um actually i don't particularly like the word abducted for some reason i know people say i've been abducted or i'm abductee Okay, that's your experience. My experiences have seemed to have been a learning experience. Yeah. I did a story that was in one of the um, women's magazines in about 97, I think it might have been, and uh, I got 50-odd phone calls of people around Australia ringing me up saying I've been abducted and I've done this, that and the other, and I didn't have a great deal of experience in uh, how to deal with that at first, but... I just winged it along yep. and uh, I just tried to comfort them and listen to them and say, well, you're not alone, you know, like mm. it's, are, you, are you all right now? And try and encourage them to live a normal life and yes. um, don't get obsessed by it. As long as everything's all right today and you're not scarred too much by it, I know that well, what can you do, you know what I mean? Mm. What can you do? And I tried to offer advice which was helpful to them. Now, I can go to my own experience, which I'd prefer to go to rather than talk about other people's experience, but I know it's quite widespread having these unusual experiences. Now, Mm. I see abductions of different types. There's the famous Betty and Barney Hill case. They stopped their car. They got out. They saw this craft. They saw the aliens and then I take it on board and examined. Now, that's an abduction. You can put the tag abduction on that. Now, the other ones that when you're in in your own bedroom, you're in your own bedroom asleep, and then you have this experience, like you might be awake and see aliens, and then you you go in and you're, you're inside the craft and you have all these examinations and all that. And then you come back and you wake up and you're still in your bed. You know what I mean? Mm. Now, is that an abduction-type experience where your physical body is not taken but your astral body is? Yeah. So we have an astral body as well. What is the difference is you're taken in the, the other ones, Betty and Barney Hill taken their one example, but there are others where they're taken when wide awake. Now, that's that's a totally different experience to going to sleep and then having this experience and then waking up and 
remembering this experience. Mm. I've had a few of those experiences where I've been asleep and have a dream where I've been taken up in a spaceship. I can remember seeing the ins in my dream, but that's, we're calling it a dream, right? Yeah. Standing up on a viewing platform, watching, watching the earth disappear, uh, rapidly disappearing below us, mm. then suddenly landing on an, a planet, coming down extremely fast and then touching down gently without any jolt, putting on a, an overall uniform and some short uh, gumboots, stepping outside into a sandy environment, sandy soil, Yep. walking over to like a small pond and then a guy across the other side of the pond pulling up in a vehicle that I can describe and saying, hello, Barry, so nice to see you again. <laughs> and, I can and I can remember his face because he had a beard Yeah, with a dog that was like a cattle dog, grey and white cattle dog. Anyway, my guide, who I can't remember anything about. The alien guide. Yeah. Yeah. He said... We have to cross over to the other side of the, the water. And I said, oh, we're we going to get wet here. You know? He said, no, you follow me. So just below the water level was a platform and he stepped on the platform and got across the other side where I thought, well, that's purifying any germs on your feet more mm. or less sterilising your feet in that water. We went across there and the dog's brushing its head against me as if it remembers me. Aww. And uh, we're walking off and there's all these cages full of animals. And I thought, oh, wow, it just went a vast area full of all these caged animals. Mm. And I said, what's going on here? What's all this? And I was told, I'm not too sure who by, but one of them said, uh, we're creating a second Noah's Ark. <gasps> what? Whoa. Yeah, second Noah's Ark. Anyway, next thing I remember, I'm going back into the craft and returning to Earth. And I woke out of a dream once with the sound of smashing window pane glass. Mm. It's like someone threw a brick through this large pane of glass, a smash. Anyway, I'm not too sure whether it's associated with that dream or, or another dream that I had that was different similar type thing but a, mm. a different location. So when they had that smashing window pane glass, I woke up, I looked outside, around the house, no smoke, uh, broken glass, no windows, went out the front of the house, no other lights on, no cars, nobody around. So I went down, and I was a smoker at that time, so I had to lit up a cigarette and yeah. had this cigarette and I was thinking all of a sudden I thought, oh, I was having this amazing dream. <laughs> what was that? And I thought, it's truth, that's amazing. i got to record this. So I had a little digital tape recorder. So I'm 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there recording voice, explaining this dream that I had, just so I'd remember it in the morning. We're calling it dream, but were you astral travelling? Were you in a different dimension? But I went up in this craft that yeah. I was hanging onto handrails, standing up, looking at this viewing window, one hand on each handrail, standing up, experiencing the whole thing, you know. Wow. It seems a strange astral travel. It's very real. It's not a dream. It's it's almost like you as a human being have ex your ability to rational rationalise what has happened to you. The, the easiest way to describe it is that it felt like a dream. Yeah, yeah I guess so. 
I think that where the animals were, I think that I was on the moon. Yeah, sounds like it. I thought that too. When when you said the soft sand and but the visual was the moon. You know, you know what I think about the moon? What? I, I think, I don't know where these thoughts come on. you know, like you, you, everybody gets thoughts and anyway. I think uh, years and years and years, the time before the moon, the Native American Indians say there was a time before the moon, a planet somewhere in our universe, possibly I'm thinking in the um, Orion system somewhere, mm. died. They ran out of air or ran out of food or something happened, a catastrophe happened, and they knew this was happening, so they prepared themselves on one of their nearby moons themselves, which is our moon now, yep. and uh, they hollowed it out and they live underground because they were able to travel through space without being bombarded by these meteors. They just leave craters in the surface of the that's called planet spaceship. Mm-hmm. And uh, they directed themselves and they came to the solar system, found this beautiful planet like the Garden of Eden. They weren't sure whether the planet had air, so they let a, let a dove out and it came back with a piece of greenery in its beak. Wow. It not only survived the planet's atmosphere, but it found vegetation. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So we'll, we'll, we'll just orbit our spaceship around this planet and uh, so we that survive. we can survive on it and, and uh, then we can go down and we can populate it and we'll land somewhere probably in what they'll call one day Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And uh, we'll build these monuments that will give us our power that we need and uh, we'll just dig underground and we'll... Uh, We'll live like we were on our previous planet and we'll be safe there, you know. Mm. And uh, the first pharaohs, I think, were aliens. Oh, yes, totally. They, they had they had a, all this amazing machinery, the, the, the computer-driven machinery that and spaceships that could carry these great blocks. So they surveyed the earth to find out where the best granite was and they could do all this from the air, where the gold deposits were because they need a lot of gold. And we can mine them because we got the machinery to do it, and uh, we don't need to create a new race that we can use as our slaves. We got machines that will do it. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And anyone that thinks that human beings built those pyramids, I think, are a bit crazy and living under a rock themselves because it wouldn't be possible to have had them all built in time for. Nah. I mean, this the the structure is so it's like a, a astronomically perfect. Yeah, and they're on special um, ley lines within the Earth, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the center of the mass of the Earth. Mm. You know how how long ago this was? Probably how long? We're talking a couple of million years. The mm. pyramids are probably a couple of million years old. Wow! And a lot can happen in that period of time. That uh, Sahara Desert has got whale bones. Now, whales only swim in deep oceans. Mm. <laughs> the Sahara Desert was once a deep ocean. The shells and all that sort of stuff there. The pyramids were probably covered in water. Mm. They were built first. Then the oceans came, 
covered everything in sand, like the Sphinx was covered in sand. God knows what else is covered in sand there that we haven't discovered yet or yeah. will probably be discovered but not not uh, released to the world. And uh, that there's once a thriving uh, metropolis of vegetation like the Amazon, you know, like it was, mm. it was a never always a desert. Another thing, I think, around the Egyptian pyramids and some of the Egyptian temples and all that, they've been melted. The stone has been melted like by atomic weapons, atomic explosions or powerful lasers. Mm. Not only there, but other uh, ancient uh, megalithic sites around the world show vitrification of the stone and the melting of stone. The scientists are saying it's probably a, a massive solar flare from the sun, and I don't think it is because it's centralised and it's concentrated in small areas. Yeah, like it's one targeted. Wall of a, like one wall of a building and nowhere else in that building or in that complex, you know what I mean? Seems targeted. weird, yeah. There was atomic war in the old days, and the Mahabharata, the Indian documents and other manuscripts from India speak of the Vimana flying machines and the war from above. Mm-hmm. And there's evidence of uh, atomic explosions, civilization being destroyed by atomic explosion type weaponry because of the uh, high radiation still remaining in the bones of the corpses that they dig up, they found. I mean, there's been an atomic war, whether they're space people have been, they didn't uh, like what was going on on Earth mm-hmm. or it was a, a grudge or I don't know what it was or what the reason would be, who knows, you, mm. you can't tell, but uh, it certainly did go on in the days of the megalithic giants. Wow. Maybe, maybe someone came here just to totally destroy the giant civilization. So do you think having contact with this sort of paranormal life or other life has given you or, you know, any of the witnesses that you've spoken about any sort of physical reactions. Like if you go up, for example, into a ship like you were describing, would you come back with any sort of, you know, like radiation or be able to speak a new language? You can remember the experience. Can everyone? A lot of people do remember their experience, yes. Yeah. But not everybody. Uh, some people might just have this thing that's happened to them and they, oh, that's a bit weird. I'm not telling anyone about that, you know, mm. type thing. But I did see when there was UFOs around, there was uh, the boomerang craft. The, the disc the disc would get into boomerang formations when they're travelling from A to B and they would lock in. They would stay as one unit. Yes. And one of these boomerang formations approached me only about 40 feet above me, travelling at probably 40, 50 kilometres an hour, very slow. I had a camera in my hand and when I first saw them, I got this message in my head, don't video, just watch and observe every detail you can. Mm -hmm. Here I am standing there watching this thing with a video camera in my hand <laughs> and not videoing. 
Wow, that must have been really hard. Or did it feel natural? Well, I was just doing what I was told. Yeah. But I observed with great detail the detail on each disc. There were seven discs in this V formation. The discs were about three metres in diameter, a nine-foot diameter. Each disc had a uh, an active corona of energy around it and the corona of energy of the object closer to them overlapped the corona energy of the nearby object, so it was mm. like they were transferring energy yep. that way. Under the, the craft itself was like it was illuminated a, a, a yellow from the inside. It was like illuminated from the inside. Mm. I remember thinking it was like I could reach up and touch it, put my hand in it and not touch anything solid. Wow. But it was a physical thing that was there. And underneath, at right angles to the direction of flight, was like from one end of the object to the other was like, you know how you draw lightning? Yeah. Zigzag lightning. There was white zigzags of energy, 90 degrees to the flight of path. And then at the front of the object, Inside the object, I could see a dark area, which was a, a bluey-gray area, and I thought to myself, that's the brains of the thing. Whoa. And I'm thinking, are they individual objects or lights attached to a solid object? I mm. wasn't sure at that point in time. But as it went away, it tilted up. I could see the top of the object. I mean, this was low, and then it tilt, the front tilted up, and it started to gain altitude, and I could see the top of the object with the same objects. So they were individual objects in a fixed in a boomerang formation. Mm. And from that, that next morning, when I went to the bathroom to have a shave in the mirror, all my forehead was red like sunburnt. And that could only that could only have come from the energy of those objects. The sheer heat, the energy. Energy. It wasn't heat. It was energy, like energy. radiation. Radiation energy. Wow. So that might be an indicator of how they're powered. And did your brain get affected, or it was just the <laughs> radiation? <laughs> just think, oh god. I don't know. I, like, I, if I knew, I probably wouldn't admit it. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's okay. We accept all brain injuries on I, this show. I know. Yeah, I know what you're saying, but no, that was just, as far as I know, that was just a, like sunburnt from that object. Wow. And and what about things like, you mentioned them before actually, people coming back from these experiences with implants or tracking devices in them. Have you ever seen that? And I wonder what, what you think they're for. Like is it for identification, control or, or monitoring? It would be more likely monitoring, but... What they're monitoring is a bit unsure of that. Whether mm. it's whether it's location, I can I can guarantee you you can move from one place to another and they'll follow you. That they know where you go. I've proven that. One of those jellyfish UFO with a dangling appendage. Mm. I was down at Port Macquarie, which was in the daylight. This same object, jellyfish UFO, heading away from me, heading north. And I stepped out from behind the shade of a tree and thinking to myself, are you the same one that I saw at Grafton? Anyway, it straight away did an evasive right-hand turn to the east and came back as if to have a look at me behind the tree. Wow. And then stayed there and then it shot up out of sight. 
So it, it reacted to my thought. Mm. Well, that's what I think anyway. It seemed to. Telepathic communication and, you know, yeah. so do you think that you've got something, have you ever found anything on your own body um, besides the scoop? Like is there a, this, the, and also no. that might be too personal. No, no, no. I have a little lump on the top of my spine and where the neck joins in, a little lump there. Sometimes that's where they get implants. I've got a little lump on the side of the top of my ear, which sometimes that's where they find implants. But I don't say I've got an implant. I've I've run a um, like a metal detector over my body and haven't found anything. But I would say probably not. I think I think consciousness. Like there's some people saying now this is like the end thing. It's all about consciousness. Well, consciousness is very important, and I think that Mm. uh, there is a connection that you can make through consciousness, that's definite. Yeah. I mean, there's different sorts of aliens. You know, I, I don't say I've seen an alien. I haven't seen any of the, the greys or the tall whites or the reptilians and all these other descriptive alien types that people talk about. I haven't seen any of those unless that guy that came in, the six-foot-two guy that came in, to, unless he was an alien, Mm. or the little critter that was in my bedroom, unless it was an alien. I've seen a lot of UFOs, discs, that were too small to have what we would call aliens inside, Mm. less than a metre in diameter. And I've seen UFOs, like, zipping through front of me, uh, the size of a softball, small. Tiny. Maybe they can change their size. No, I think it's probes. Probes. Probes, they're probably sent out by the aliens. I think they have probe-type things. They have bionic, biological probes, mm. biological that are self-replicating. This is like the, uh, the the orbs in Mexico, their fleet footage, and the ones I've seen in the daytime and videotaped that, that I call space critter. They seem to duplicate. In Mexico, they got the... A whole group is just like they're in this membrane. They wiggle through the air. They've been filmed by Story Musgrave, the astronaut, while he's orbiting the Earth, this worm-type thing that's weaving and it's flying in space. But there's been a video in the Earth's atmosphere like giving birth, like shooting objects out of each end or giving birth. And I think that these are the self-replicating organic probe or the organic space critter. It was strange that in 1999 the disc went basically, but there were a few lagged on, and then these other ones came in, the um, the orbs or the mm. organic, the space critter type ones came in. I wonder why th- these UFOs and aliens and critters are, they, why do they come to Earth? Why are they so obsessed with us? Is it because they actually came here before us? Well, we, we really don't know how old the Earth is. It's probably a lot older than what they've estimated, like six billion years old. Yeah. Probably older than that. We really don't know. It was like in 1999, I'll put it this way. Uh, I, one night I saw what I call an armada of dis, mm. and I saw a group of UFO dis that had this amazing glow of energy around it. And it, there are single discs might glow a little bit, have that corona around it, but you put 200, I estimate there'd be 200 in this uh, group, 
the shape and size of the group and the density of it. I did dots on a piece of paper and I said, well, that's about the scale of what I saw. And then I added all the dots up and there was 200 odd dots. Mm. So these 200 UFO discs in that group and this amazing, powerful energy that was expanding from these group of discs. From that, I put together like a, a normal one, one and a half volt battery has not much power. You put 200 of them together, you've got a searchlight. You know what I mean? You've got yes. so much more energy if they can multiply, and that's what I think they were doing. If they can do that, they could travel almost the speed of light in space by generating mm. that going through as a, a, a group mm. rather than an individual object. But what I got from that, those um, 200 discs, was they're leaving. The discs, look, I got the feeling they're leaving. And that's what they were doing because after that, the disc activity absolutely stopped. And but there was just a couple of random tail enders that came through when we got into the 2000s, and then there's no more discs. And then these other space critter type um, orbs were as if they were waiting for the aliens to go, and then they come in, you know? Yeah, yeah, so that's. That'd be my take on it, and I think that the the actual aliens in the disc, they're on a, a journey. They travel through the universe as as a, a martyr of craft, and they may even have a planet which is further out in space that they go to, and that's their home base. And that planet actually goes traveling through the universe. Mm-hmm. You know, the scientists say, or the astronomers say. Uh, it takes them so many light years to get in here, they wouldn't do it. They don't need it. If they've got a planet that is their home base is meandering through the universe, they can inspect any planet they want to nearby, you know. Mm, and they also travel so much quicker than us. Look, I estimate I've seen from outside the Earth's atmosphere, I reckon I saw a UFO that doing must have been about 100,000 kilometres an hour because I saw it flash, leaving a streak in the sky, and I looked, spun around very quickly. I wonder if that's going to flash again way over here, yeah. and it did. And I thought, geez, to travel that distance, it's got to be doing 100,000 kilometres an hour or 100,000 mile an hour or something. Absolutely phenomenal speed. Yeah. To fa- flash so quickly and leave a long streak in the sky, mm. it's moving pretty quick. <laughs> Do you think that they're just interested in how our DNA works? Why do they want to observe the human body? Well, if, if they're a group of people that are tra- traversing the universe, could you imagine how much scientific knowledge they've acquired? Mm. They'd have to be interested in science-based, the development of the solar system and all creatures within it. Yeah, you want to know. They're going past, you know, what, what's in these tadpole eggs? What happens there when they hatch, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're way past that. <laughs> they're studying the universe. Mm black holes and all that sort of stuff. That's what they're they're studying. And they've probably got so many other planets they go to that have got life forms in it, which I think just about any planet that's in a sweet spot of the sun and not even have to be in a sweet spot of the sun to have life forms that will survive in adverse conditions, Mm. um, they'd have a wealth of information. They'd be on a scientific adventure. And, um, yeah, it's an exploration, just like ex- the first humans, the exploration of the world. Yeah. But they're just yeah. doing it in such a huge capacity. 
yeah, you've got to open your mind up universally to this sort of stuff. That's why it's a shame to think that uh, the military, particularly the US military, I suppose, but the military taking on board uh, these UFOs are a threat to us. Mm. Well, they'll be a threat if you start shooting at them. Yes. <laughs> if you hurt of self-defence, you know what I mean? Why do you think the government and the military, because the military are actually a lot more involved in controlling us than I think we care to admit or even know, why do you think that they want to keep humanity oblivious to these other forms of life and not just embrace it and work with them? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. The main reason probably is that they they would love to be able to duplicate the technology to have the vehicles that they have to move and manoeuvre as quickly as these things do and fly indefinitely without refuelling. And with with that knowledge becomes the technology for weaponry that's what you've got to think of too like lasers yeah. and all that sort of stuff what else is next what else can be done with this universal energy but not only that people are going to ask questions and they they don't have the answers mm. so it's probably also about um the facade of having complete power yeah, they want. Well, now that they've changed from UFO to UAP, I don't use the term UAP because I don't think that's, uh, you know, I'm not going to go there. You know, the UFO, you study UFOs and that's what they are. Yeah. They'll always be referred to as UFOs. UFO does not mean alien spacecraft automatically. Mm. You know, I very rarely call a UFO an alien spacecraft, but I could describe one that, uh, well, there was two actually flying around in. Uh, in 1999 that I have called alien spacecraft because I saw them at close close range, like we're talking 300 metres. Yes. And uh, on three different occasions. Mm-hmm. So there, there are alien spacecrafts around, but not all UFOs are alien spacecraft. Mm. It's, a, it's a broader thing than just a cylinder or a saucer. It includes a lo- all of the sort of otherworldly activity, right? Yeah. That yeah. the UFO is the umbrella term. Yeah, that's right. It's something that's unexplained. We we don't know how it operates. We don't know who drives them and we don't know where they're from and we don't know what they're doing here. Mm. So they're unidentified in that regard, you know. Well, they feel like our friends today. I wondered what your take on like Area 51 and things like that are like. Do we have an Australian equivalent? Is it Pine Gap? So they say. I don't have enough evidence to make an informed decision on this sort of stuff. Mm. But I know Pine Gap. If you look at where it's laid out in between those two ironstone walls, you look at it, an aerial view of it, you'll notice that it's, it's built in between ironstone walls like that go deep underground. These ironstones, like a natural formation that's been tilted on its end. Mm. So you've got these great vertical ironstone walls, natural. Yeah. What a great protection that is. I mean, all you've got to do is hollow out the ground in between those two walls and you've got yourself a room, haven't you? Yes. That could go a long, long way and have protection, and you don't have to build walls. It's not going to cave in. Mm. It's just got to secure the roof. You know what I mean? It's it, yeah. The position it's built is a bit suspicious, I think, anyway, for underground activity. 
So mm. maybe, uh, and I've got a feeling that uh, there's underground tunnels, I mean deep underground. You know, you've heard of deep underground bases. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I reckon there's deep underground tunnels underneath Australian landscape. Mm. What do you think they're used for? Well, they probably connected continent to continent, you know what I mean? So we don't have to travel over water? Yeah, and you don't have to travel by air. It's totally clandestine. Yeah. Don't show up anywhere. Undetectable. Because when I was in Grafton one day, the ground shook beneath my feet like an explosion, mm. deep, large explosion, and that's not natural. Are they earthquakes or is there some shit going on underneath us? Well, earthquakes will rumble. They'll rumble through from one direction. You, you can feel it and hear it rumble. Mm. Not not like a, a, a deep explosion. This is a real thud, you know, like it's yeah. a sudden explosion. Ooh. So, yeah, I'd say, I don't know, it's Pine Gap, yeah, interesting place. We don't know anything about it. That's all, I mean, Australian government is supposed to have been shown through, but, I mean, you might have a 20-bedroom house that's got all sorts of stuff there and you only show them the lounge room. Well, you haven't mm. looked, looked at the place, have you, you know? Yeah. So Area 51, you're probably not even interested in it, I guess, because you have the capacity to have the direct experience. Well, Area 51, they're supposed to be, I wouldn't be surprised, this is just me thinking, Area yeah. 51, they probably was working in the early days. I don't know if they do it now because they've used a lot of stuff to an underground base in Utah. I think they've been experimenting with human clones, mm. cloning humans. Uh, they won't admit to that, of course, but I think if I was running the show, I'd, I'd be one of the clones. <laughs> That's what I'd be doing anyway. Well, I mean, look at Queen Elizabeth. That bitch is not getting any older. She is just staying glowing and healthy, and I think it's weird. I'm going to put it out there. It's controversial, but she is looking pretty well for someone her age, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, there, there is... Uh... There is talk of some of the other leaders of the world have their clones, but I'm, I don't know. I mean, We're just theorising. We're just being classic conspiracy theorists right now, Barry. And that's what you. That's what you are. You're a conspiracy yep. theorist. You know, like what you got evidence. Send me the evidence. You know, like I, I like to see evidence. Yeah, I like to see evidence too. For the Queen, though, I just say turn the television on and look at her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, I can imagine the haters out there right now going, Sarah, you're crazy. <laughs> the weirder well, and wilder, the better. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. That's how it is so far. <laughs> yes. And I wonder, Barry, why you th do you think that it's so hard for some people to believe or have even an inkling of an understanding that there's other life amongst us or that our reality is bigger than what we sort of see it is, you know. It's wild to me that people can't fathom that we're not the only life or that everything that we see on the news is real and there's nothing else other than what we're being shown by the mainstream media. And I guess we've sort of talked about it before. Maybe you do need to have a real firsthand, real-life experience to truly get it. I mean, what has your experience been like with non-believers or with people who are not necessarily living in your world? Well, my experience, like in the in the nineties, I was invited to have an interview on 
ABC Radio. I'll name them because that's they deserve it. They're making fun of it. I'd mentioned alien abductions. The person that was interviewing me on the radio said, "Do people think you're a nut?" Mm. And I said, "Well, I'm not the one making the claims for a start. I'm the one that's got the ear that they can talk to, someone they can trust yeah. to talk to." Calling me, do people call you on that? You know that that was the attitude. It's very offensive. It is. What they used to do, apparently they used to have uh, orders from like, we get involved with the CIA or secret alphabet companies and that. They want to keep a, a lid on all this stuff. It's They think that's mm. their job. And they they either pay or the news directors of TV stations and radio stations have been advised to make the UFO subject a joke. That's how yeah. it used to be. Now that the military are getting involved, the, the table has turned. Now the, the media want all the glory for putting up the video and the interviews and the recent documentaries. They're, they, they're going with it now because it's hot news. You yeah. look on YouTube, you put UFO in there, you get all the news services around the world. They get the priority with the searches rather than people like me that are getting genuine footage of UFOs or talking about the subject, way down the bottom of the list, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, YouTube and Google in particular have uh, made the search engines uh, cover up the everyday researcher. Mm. I hear that uh, the Biden government now wants to make those that study or research UFOs a criminal offence. Oh, my God. <laughs> If that does not speak cover-up, I mean, what does? Well, what, what do they think? They own the subject, you know what I mean? Yeah. They've got no copyright on any of it. No. It, but it even if they did, honestly, fuck off. Like they, yeah. they've had the chance to be able to empower humanity with it and they chose not to. Yeah, yeah. I would so much rather have a yarn with someone like you who's been in the field for so many years doing the research than talk to someone in the military who is just going to be fed this PR shit, yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, when I saw the um, the videos that they've just released of Gimbal and those other three videos, I say it might have been a fourth one mm. that they released, I, I got the feeling that they uh, are digital interpretations of what's been explained by the military, not so much the actual true gun camera footage or footage of the radar. Yeah. I think that's a assimilation of uh, what's been described or what they saw, not the genuine stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, we weren't genuine, so I can't wait to direct everybody to your YouTube channel after this. If you can find it, it's... it's. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. That's right. We'll have to get the link um, yeah. because, you know, they're covering up the everyday researcher. So we'll go, well, yeah, don't just, worry, I'll sort just, that out. Yeah. I was monetized at one stage and then they changed the goalposts for what how you gotta get paid, like you gotta have a thousand subscribers now. Mm. And then I wasn't didn't quite have a thousand, so I was playing all these ads and not getting any revenue from it. Mm. And then they send you a letter just recently saying, Well, you're not getting as many viewers, but we're just gonna have to neutralize your monetization fund. So they got 50 bucks of my money sitting there that I can't access. They've changed the algorithm so that I'm not getting any viewers. And then they say, you're not getting any viewers. We've got to take your monetization. So yeah. right, well, they're scr slowly screwing the 
screws until you say, well, bugger, I'm going to delete the channel. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're, they're, they're forcing you to give it up. But don't worry, we'll get gonna, some. Let's, I'm just gonna let's all vibe out there and get Barry some good hits on his YouTube. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. you know. Like, it's important to get the truth out there. And it's very clear that they're trying to cover that up. I think the truth has been known for quite well, the truth. Where, where do you draw the line at the truth? You know, the UFOs have been around a long time. Mm. There's been a lot of information. If you don't know anything about UFOs, you haven't taken the time to look. Yeah. I mean, you just got to look at the vast amount of books that are written on the subject. Huge. The internet, you used to do a Google search on UFO and it used to show you get a million and a half pages. So you're lucky to get you're lucky to get like two or three pages now. Yeah. It's a real deep dive. You have to go far and you have to know who to look for, what to put in. Well, that's right. Unless you've got the address, it's not going to show up on the search engine. Mm. Well, what I do is uh, go into, if I'm looking for, well, even the video, it's the same thing happens. You know, looking for UFO video, you get all the news report, news channels. Yeah. You've got the monopoly. Like YouTube's turned into a, a secondary news channel. Yep. <laughs> Other than that, the subject's still alive, but we have lulls in it. When to, At the moment, there's a lull in it. We're not getting that many reports of good stuff, mm-hmm. like I'm talking 100% genuine UFOs. Uh, but one day it'll happen again because it's happened during the 1950s. They had um, a wave of UFOs in the US where they started shooting at them and supposed to have gone over the... White House and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And then uh, in the 70s when I got started, there was the UFO activity, high rate of UFO activity, and then in the 90s. So every 20 years up until that point in time. Oh, it sounds least, like we're due. Well, we're probably a bit overdue, but, um, I mean, in my location in the middle of a city now, it's probably not going to happen mm. as much as it did when I was in a country situation because there are – corridors and flight paths that they seem to frequent more than others, you know. Oh, okay. So do they do they pick certain areas? that So they've got a flight path that they follow. But is that in a certain area or country town or city? Well, I think it's uh, convenient to fly over that area more than it is to go around it. Mm. Take the shortest point between two locations. It's more or less like that, I feel. That's the main corridor, and then flight paths can happen in any direction within that corridor. Okay. Very cool. Like between the coast of, say, Coffs Harbour and the Great Dividing Range, that was like a corridor. Mm. Within that corridor, I put compass uh, readings and uh, tracked on map the definite flight paths that I saw UFOs flying in on a regular basis. I've got that in my book as well. Mm. People say there's a hotspot. It's, well, it's not really a hotspot because the UFOs had to come from somewhere and go somewhere else. It's only a hotspot because someone's reporting them from there. Mm. So, they're, at, so they're, they're everywhere. It's just not everyone everywhere is reporting them. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I'm in a hotspot on the central coast at the moment. Yeah, that's a hotspot. <laughs> It's a hot spot. Yeah, I know. It's uh, during the nineties. It was very active there. And, Holy uh, moly, Gosford Carryong! It is full on here. It is. Yeah. It is really. There's a lot of activity going on. It's very exciting. Have you ever heard of the Gosford Glyphs? I do. I just had that come to mind. Actually, 
Yep, the Gosford yeah. Glyphs. I go there a lot. Yep. And I was given permission by an Indigenous elder to go and explore the private parts of that area that were away from the glyphs and the touristy yeah. sort of. It's become a bit of a tourist attraction now. Yeah. But there's other portals around that area and I've been given permission to go there and I went and sat on the portal and I lost, I thought I was sitting there for 20 minutes and it was, yeah. I, lo- I lost nearly three hours. I have no idea what happened in that time. I was just away somewhere else. <laughs> and then it, life has never been the same since. I've I've had a lot of crazy things happen. And like mm. you, I've had critters in my room. And the, the one night I remember was last year and I had come from my day on sitting on the portal (laughs) and I don't know if I was supposed to sit on it but I did because I like to touch the electric fence Barry it's my favorite thing let's just see where it goes shocking anyway a few a couple of weeks passed since then and I was asleep one night and the weirdest thing I was laying there and I was awake but I was asleep and I felt like I was hovering above my bed and the entire atmosphere of my bedroom changed. It was like I was in some sort of chamber and I could hear the most perfect clarity in my ears and I've got trouble with my ears and things like that. So to be able to hear with perfect clarity, I'd never experienced it before. It was unbelievable and I couldn't open my eyes but I didn't feel paralysed and I wasn't afraid. It was just... I couldn't really move. I couldn't open my eyes, but it was it was very similar to you in that I was my mind was working and I was sort of felt like I was communicating with something, but I didn't know what it was. Anyway, eventually I had sort of got back down into my body and and went back to sleep. And then the next night I got up to go to the bathroom and I came back and there was a being, like you were saying, like a meter tall, and it was outside my window waving at me. <laughs> And I kind of looked at it and I waved back and I was shocked. I wasn't afraid, but it was a, it was a bit of a shock. And I waved and I said, okie dokie then. And I went, I went back to sleep. And then from then I was seeing lots of flying things. And I had to actually ask the little guys to step back because they were coming in so often into my bedroom, disturbing my sleep. And it was getting very full on. But then I had a conversation with my brother who lived in this bedroom at one point in his life as well, and he described the exact same thing happening to him. Yeah, yeah pretty strange, eh? Pretty strange, yeah. pretty far out there. But I think that's opened something in me that, you know, that maybe that psychic block or fear that was there has dissolved in a way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, was that the woman's table or something like that it's called? I went and laid on the, the woman's table. That's not a private portal. That's oh, yeah. um, known by people who know about it. Yeah, it's a special rock up where the Gosford glyphs are that women only can lay on for those that don't know. And I've done lots of meditating and healing on that rock. So special. Um, no, this portal was nearby, but um, you have to know where it is to know. And I haven't been given permission to tell anybody where that is. So I won't give the exact um, no, description of where it is, but it was pretty yeah. fucking wild, Barry. My life's no, been real different ever since. <laughs> well, that's pretty powerful, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty powerful. And 
I'm just so open to more of it. Once you're on a journey like this, you take one step at a time. Mm-hmm. I started to learn shamanic practices and uh, I, I've been on shamanic journeys. Mm-hmm. And then I, I found my, during my shamanic journeys, this is all consciousness thing and it opens up your consciousness. You need to go on a journey to find your power animal. And this is uh, an underground thing when you're, and you're, you're finding your power animal and you're exploring different places. And next thing you know, I've confronted by an owl and it's attached itself to me. Wow. So it's, when I go on a journey now, I call in my spirit guide that sits on my shoulder, an owl. Mm. And then, then that's sorry, spirit animal. And my spirit guide. I also got an image of him in my mind too, and uh, he is ancient, wow. but he's dressed very well. And I've found a culture that he's probably from. I won't name it at all, at all but it's. Yep. Um, and then I've been on some journeys that have just been amazing. But with the Gosford Glyphs, I did a journey there too. Oh, you've done one. A journey there, and I approached the area. I asked for permission to come in, and I was given permission to come in, but my spirit animal, the owl, flew over the area and I was looking at the area through the eyes of the owl. Whoa. That (laughs) is amazing. What did you see from above? I just saw the layout. Mm. I thought I was going to go, but I stayed in the little vehicle because I – my spirit guide's got a little uh, little UFO, open-top UFO type thing, a little convertible UFO that we sit <laughs> in and we go places, you know? That's so cool. <laughs> and you know the Gosford glyphs really validates what you were talking about before uh, with the Egyptians and uh, Egypt being that first sort of area of establishment. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard the story about the, the Strongs of uh studied that a bit and I've heard the stories from them. There was a video, one video I got onto YouTube, I don't know if it's still up there, but a young lady, she said she was taken into this uh, chamber that had an Egyptian sarcophagus in there uh, and treasures. Mm. Sometimes that hole's filled up with rock. Yeah, uh, there's a the, lot of... Um... The wildlife... Uh, wildlife Government people fill it up, don't want people in there. Yeah. It's pretty full-on energy there as well. And, you know, you can see there's a lot of stuff hidden. They don't – It's. It, I, don't, I don't know whether or not that's being protected or, you know, it's just naturally grown over and rocks have formed, but I think that there's definitely a vibe of trying to keep the sacred space of the Gosford Glyphs area sacred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe in uh, curses. The yes. Egyptians probably put curses. I know they have put curses. Yeah. On. There was a, a lady I knew in a country town that I rang up. I knew she was interested because she was in a so-called abductee. I knew she had uh, a photo of Tutankhamun up on the wall. She studied a bit about the Egyptians. And uh, it was one of those ones where the gold is really, like, really painted gold. It's, like, mm. very rich colours. And it's in a frame, and I wrote 
uh, rang her and said, uh, what can you tell me about Tutankhamun? And as soon as I said that, she turned around to look at the, the, the graphic painting and the painting slipped down in the frame. Oh, my gosh. Inside the frame. As soon as she looked at it, the painting tilted and slipped down. The, the uh, painting's there sitting crooked in the frame now because it tilted as soon as she looked at it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Do you know what's wild about that is that I was obsessed with Tutankhamun in school because we did a lesson on Tutankhamun in history, I think, or something, and it just absolutely captivated me. Yeah. yeah. So there's definitely a vibe. Yeah, a lot of people uh, can connect with the Egyptians and it's interesting. Mm. There's so much stuff up there on the internet that you can, if you're interested in a subject, just put it in and you'll find stuff and you'll learn. Yeah. You know, don't, don't waste your time sitting in front of the TV and listen to all that brainwashed garbage, false information, fantasy stuff. There's so much real life stuff to learn and it's a, it's a wonderful place, you know. Television has been what a great medium to teach people, but it's been abused. Yes, yeah. and manipulated. Manipulated, yeah. Yeah. So, would that be your advice for people who are sitting there listening to us talk and getting excited about the possibility of connecting with something extraterrestrial or expanding their consciousness? Like, what would be your tips for entering this environment or this world safely? Is it one step at a time? Well, we're not going to call in spirits and calling in the dead. That's spiritualism or whatever it is. Mm. We're not even thinking of doing that, you know, like we're talking about UFOs and communicating with other life, high energy and high quality life forms that have been around for a long, long time that may have something that they can teach us and show us, you know. I haven't sort of really thought about a step-by-step lesson. I know that by sky watching at night and putting your eyes and mind to the test to see what uh, is going on up there because there's so much happening in our skies. Mm. Um, we really need to explore there first. I have an open mind. And, yep. you know, like learn to which of the stars and which of the stars are the same place every night and how they move and when something unusual appears, you know that shouldn't be there that, and, and then observe that and film everything, put your camera on a tripod and you can just f- let it run for until it runs out of battery or something like that and then study yeah. the footage, you know, fast forward it until you might get one light that's not moving at all. Well, that mm. could be a stationary satellite. Then you can look up. Uh, there are apps that will tell you the names of sa- satellites. and Yeah. And you'll be able to pinpoint what's natural there and what's man-made. That all helps on a quest. I always say you'll one day you'll see UFOs. All you got to do is be there constantly. It's just that time will come around, but you've mm-hmm. got to be able to be there to look. That uh, you'll never find them when you're sitting inside because they all happen outside. That's where yes. you see them. And so you need to be a very conscious observer of your environment. Yeah. 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 Yep. I love environment that. Environment you're not usually uh, used to uh, exploring. It takes you a while to, you might get a bit frightened or feel a bit anxious when you go outside in the dark. Mm-hmm. This is natural to start with. And then you'll, uh, you know, don't be afraid of the dark. And it's good for the psyche and it'll be good for your consciousness. 
mm. and uh, just stay there a little bit longer, a little bit longer next time, and you know, like observe when the uh, International Space Station is coming around. You get the app, watch on your phone, and when you know it's going to cross over your area, go outside and have a look at it, and then you'll know what direction to look in, and then you'll know what it looks like, and mm. try and video it so you've got a record of it. You know. Self-education, that's what you're doing. Self-education, exactly. Yeah, you're creating your own PhD. Yep. Yeah. I love that and, so and much. The more you do it, the more it'll feed you. Mm. Amen yeah. to that. <laughs> what have you learned about life and about being human from all your work in this area? Well, I think that I've, I believe in reincarnation. Mm. I think that I've been here before because as a child I had memories of a sky full of aircraft, which could have been Britain in World War II, and I had a birthmark on my upper chest just below my Adam's apple on my chest there, which some people say that could be a mark where you were killed last lifetime. might be a bullet where I got hit or whatever. Mm. And I have mem- uh, when I was a baby and I remember my earliest memory I was probably only months old because I wasn't walking properly and my father was laying on a couch listening to the racehorses on the radio and I heard a horse named Akbar. <laughs> and I remember that name of that horse to this day. And I remember in, in recent times before Dad passed, I said, do you remember a racehorse called Akbar? He said, yeah, I do actually. And I said, well, I remember that as a child, as a baby. And that has significance for me somewhere in my consciousness or DNA in a past life. The name Akbar is meaningful for me. Mm. What it is, I don't know. But that's an earliest, well, one of the earliest memories. Your consciousness really is very expansive, isn't it? Seems to be, yeah. 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 I remember... During the 70s, I would stay awake till 2 in the morning, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, just writing all this scientific stuff down on paper and filing it on a mind journey. My mind's on a journey and this is what this is what I was getting from it, you know. Yeah. That's good been, advice for everyone out there too, you know, like write it down. Yeah, write things down and um, try and find your own tribe, people with the same interests because mm. everybody's got something to share. Uh, don't lend any of your best books to anybody because your best friends are the ones that'll lose them. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> if you could, in this moment, expand someone's someone's consciousness for the very first time about all of this and life, what do you think that you'd say to them? I'd say you have to pursue what's available to you now before you die. Mm. Because then, then you've learnt the lesson, and you can take that into the next life. Oh, I got shivers. You can go. The, you can go the next step next time. Yeah. So you can move further up in the yeah. game. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so so much for being here. I could talk to you for many many more hours, but I'm going <laughs> to let us both go and do a wee and have a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Oh, look, thank you, Sarah. Look. Thanks for the invitation. I'm, I'm so happy to be able to share some of my experiences and knowledge that I've gained. That's only a small portion of it that uh, mm. with yourself and your 
listeners and good luck with all your um, podcasts. I think it's a great thing you're doing. Well, thank you, mate. And who knows, they might request a part two. So we could be back for some more yarning if you're up for it. Yeah, of course. I'll do it with you anytime. Oh, I'm honoured. Oh, hi, friends. Thanks so much for listening to my episode with Barry. Isn't he a total gift to humanity? I don't know about you, but I bloody love people who think and live outside the box. And something that I really love about Barry and actually other people like him that are passionate about a topic or a thing is that they do so much research, self-education and field work on the subject that they love that they practically carve out their own PhDs. And these curious amateurs have so much knowledge and experience and I just absolutely love that. You know, Barry reminds me of the very brilliant mycologist Paul Stamets in the way that they're both self-taught experts in their field. Like they literally go outside and consistently study the thing that they're into. I am frothing on this way of life, on this idea that you literally can go out and get it for yourself at any time. And I think when there's a lot of control around a subject from the perceived powers above, aka the men in black, it makes me so much more curious and truthfully a bit angry as well. But I'm so grateful that there are people out there like Barry who is just plowing the field, discovering shit and just questioning it all. And the thing is, you know when something weird is happening. It's a feeling. You know when something special is happening. The moment has an energy to it. It's a vibe. I wonder what synchronicities and coincidences are happening in your world right now. It's very interesting to go back and... Put the pieces of your life puzzle together when you think about things the way that Barry's asked us to think about things. I do have to admit something, though. (laughs) As I was listening to Barry talk about expanding our lives and awarenesses past watching TV, uh, I hardcore rolled my eyes and (laughs) went into a massive shame spiral because I fucking love TV Numbing out to some great TV is my passion. It is my love language. I truly can't get enough of that kind of brainwashing. So honestly, I'm not looking forward to the homework from this episode, which is for all of us, by the way. And that, my friends, is to simply go outside and look up. If you have a TMI story that you'd like to share with me and the rest of the world, head over to planetsarahgrant.com and apply to be on the show. That'd be fun or weird or both. (laughs) And if you enjoyed this episode, you know what to do. Write a lovely review on Apple so I can keep making the show for you. Until the next one, beam me up, space cowboys. Bye. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> Good for you. TMI? For real. For real.